0: I guess you can see where people would be skeptical, right? You've got this this book, the Bible, that is a bunch of different books put together. We're not sure who said what was going to be what, what politics were behind it. Um, you know, you've got the Catholics that add these. You've got different denominations that have different uh, things. So, I mean, at this point, like, I don't even know if I want to read the book. You know, you've got people thinking that, let alone go to church. So... Good morning, Pastor Jameson. Good morning. How are you doing? Great, man. Good, good. Good. Did you have a good drive down? I did. I did. It went really quick. I love fast drives. Yeah, me too.
1: I mean, it could have been because I was driving fast, but still, (laughs) I made it safe. No
0: tickets. Everything's good. (laughs) No tickets, no wrecks. It's a winner. (laughs) Good deal. Well, we are back again for another episode of You Can't Ask This, or You Can't Ask That. (laughs)
1: And, or this, uh, you can't ask this, uh,
0: this or can't ask this or that. You can't ask this or that. Story of my life. Um, so, but uh, so today, um, I thought we would talk about a uh, a certain topic that pretty much comes up anytime you're in church or uh, talking about church. And uh, but before I do that, let me ask you a question. Can you mm-hmm. tell me what is the best-selling book of all time? Uh, the Da Vinci Code?
1: No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, definitely. Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) The Bible.
0: You are correct. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. In fact, um, the Bible sells over 100 million, sells or donates, is donated over 100 million copies annually. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. I wonder how much the Gideons play a part.
1: Remember the Gideons when we would be at school and they'd be passing out the Bibles?
0: Course, you know, I used to travel a lot for work, so they were in every hotel room, hotel and, room, yep, and all of that. Exactly. Um, well, in fact, that leads me to the next little interesting fact not only is it the best selling book of all time, and, and annually, it is also the most stolen book annually. Yeah, Mm-hmm. guess now we know where those donations come from, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> I did not know that, really. That's yeah, interesting, isn't it? Huh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I'm thinking if they steal it, then they probably need it, right?
0: Uh, that's I, I hope. I mean, I don't I know. Mean, is there a black I mean, I guess there could be a black market for Bibles in other <laughs> countries know. or something. I don't uh, know. Maybe. That's but they interesting. tend to disappear from doctor's office waiting rooms or hotels. I mean, I guess that's the purpose of the Gideons putting in out. hope that they will take them. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's one of the interesting facts. It's hmm. the most stolen book every year. I did not know that. I, maybe you're just, hopefully they're reading them. That's what we want <laughs> We want to happen. Exactly. So a few other interesting facts is, let me get my glasses on here. Uh, the Bible is about 611,000 words long, and that's the original language count. So when translating the Bible from its original language to English, translators tend to use more words to get across the original's author point, and different translations will uh, result in a variation of word count as well. Um, But even so, it's interesting to think that while the Bible is longer than Moby Dick, it's nowhere near as long as the Harry Potter saga. So it kind of falls in between there. Mm. The longest book of the Bible is Jeremiah. Um, The prophet had a lot to say. In fact, he even says in Jeremiah 29, But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. That sounds like a lot of pastors I know, actually.
1: So when you... Don't <laughs> mention any names. but So when you say long, that's the longest book, that's longer than Psalms.
0: It says, granted, Jeremiah is the longest book based on how we currently arrange the books of the Bible. If we did it the old school way, the two-part books of King would be the longest book. Because now it's broken up into first and second kings. Gotcha. But if that was combined, that would be the longest book. But <laughs> if you wanted to go even really more old school, um, technically the Torah or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy would actually be the longest book of the Bible. Gotcha. So uh, the shortest book of the Bible is uh, Third John, um, and then, then the next shortest is Second John. Huh. <laughs> uh, the Bible was written by more than 40 traditional authors. The books of the Bible are traditionally attributed to heroes of the Jewish and Christian faiths. Uh, Moses is given credit for the first five books of the Bible. Most of the prophets are given credit for the books named after him. The reality is a bit messier than this, of course. Uh, Moses probably didn't pin every word of Genesis through Deuteronomy. He died before some of the events happened, and there's a good chance Jonah didn't write. Jonah and Isaiah may have had some help over the centuries and so on and so forth. Uh, But... Uh, there are also some books whose authors we don't even know for sure. What's your take on that, actually? I'd be interested to hear your take on that. Like, uh,
1: well, a couple things. Number one, I love how you say Deuteronomy.
0: Oh, gosh, here we go. <laughs> He's going to try to discredit my southern charm. <laughs> I, always, I always give you a hard time about this stuff.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I mean, well, that's absolutely true because the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, um, actually record the death of Moses. So, you know unless he recorded his own death how it happened before it happened obviously he didn't so yeah he couldn't have he couldn't have written the whole thing so and i think that's probably true with there's a lot of new testament books that um, like if you actually look at the gospel of john the first I, I don't know 17 18 verses they don't even flow with the rest of the gospel they're like a like a like a prelude and scholars believe that that was actually added after john wrote the actual gospel or you know recorded wherever he got his source from, then the, he wrote the gospel, and then that was added later on, kind of like as an introduction to the gospel. And if you actually read it, it makes sense. It's one there's one flow, and then boom, it just totally changes. And so yeah, so it, it is it is in that sense it's messy. I guess that's that's a good word to use maybe I don't know. But
0: when I I took a Old Testament as literature class in, in college. It's one of my favorite classes actually. But and they he kind of broke down that there's four really four identifiable different authors through the first five books of the Bible. Um, and I but I think that that controversy of did Moses actually write the first five books of the Bible becomes a little bit overplayed, maybe in my opinion. Cause I think that kind of misses the point of, you know, in Sunday school we're taught Moses is the wrote the first five books of the Bible. And I think it's because it's easy to comprehend and it doesn't go really much beyond that as we get older. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you really start to dig into it, there's, you know, two different creation stories. There's two different stories about the, the, the uh, Noah putting animals in the ark. Um obviously written by kind of different styles. There was obviously different political influences probably and in what, you know, what they were, their thought process. Um, but I think it's, it's what they kind of call the mosaic authorship, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, kind of like there's ghost writers and people that help other people write books, there's editors and all this other thing. It's still kind of contribute. This is really the mosaic law. This is the story behind that law. So we can consider it the the mosaic authorship.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's fair. And that's fair. It's, and that's with any book you read, not just the Bible. Like you said, you know, any book today, it's got uh, different people have their hands in it. It doesn't, it doesn't lessen its truth. Any, um, it doesn't, make it wrong to say, because I think if you open up, I don't have a King James Bible here with me, and maybe even other versions too. Like if you go into an old church and you, you know, in the back of the pews, they have the Bibles. If you open one of those up, I think it will actually say uh, the book of Moses called Genesis or the book of Moses called Exodus or, you know. um So yeah, I mean, it's just kind of been attributed to him and maybe most of it is from him. You know, so then generally speaking, and I think when you get to into the scriptures, um, I, I think that's what we have to understand is that the authors of that day are totally different. The culture of that day was just different than what we're used to in 21st century America, you know, and just around the world even. Uh, so you're going to find that, their details are going to look different than the way we would say stuff. Like, they're not going to be as concerned about science because they didn't have all the scientific tools that we have. They're not going to be as concerned about um, exact numbers when you're looking at numbers. You know, they're not going to be concerned, like, whether it's if it was 507 or 512, let's say, uh, people that were. Um, you know, in this land, in this city, there was 512 people. He might just say there were, there were 500 people. He might say there were 300 men in this city. Yeah, there was also 212 women and children to make 512, you know what I mean? But the author might just say, oh, there was just 300, 300 men there. And, you know, because they didn't concern themselves and they didn't think that was dishonest or misleading in any way to present it that way because that that wasn't really, that didn't really matter. That wasn't the main purpose. They're trying to give you a fact, but they're not spending a lot of time on that. I think we have a tendency to do that. You know, if you, if you don't say it exactly, then we get critical and then we want to scrutinize and say, well, you're wrong or you're lying or whatever. And I think Bible critics have done that with the Bible, you know? Oh, well, Moses recorded his death. Therefore he couldn't have been the author. So how dare you say Moses authored these books? Well, he did, you know, even if it was just 80% of it, he was still the author and then, you know, there were some things that need to be filled in to give us the more completed picture. So it's really not that big of a deal. And I think you're right. It probably has been
0: overplayed quite a bit. I think it becomes an excuse to maybe not, to not to believe. To not believe, yeah. Dig into it a little yep. bit. Um, so, well, how let's kind of break down the, the Bible a little bit. How is the Bible so... The Old Testament is kind of broken down into what we call like the, the Torah or the law, right? So that's mm-hmm. kind of the first five books of the Bible. And I think even if you go into Genesis, and this is my own, I'm making up my own terminology here. This is no, no scholars. Well, I Seven. mean, you do that all the time anyway. <laughs> yep. So what I would call like, so you've got basically the, from the patriarchs forward, right? You've got Abraham in Genesis, then kind of goes through Moses and up uh, to um, Moses's death But then you've got kind of that first part of Genesis, Mm -hmm. um, which I would call kind of like the the preface. or I'm sorry, should I say preface so you can make (laughs) fun of me? The preface. (laughs) The preface where you've kind of got this whole introduction to creation and the flood, the pre-flood society, and then post-flood leading into the patriarch. But then you've got... um, kind of the chronological, the history, really, Mm -hmm. of the Jewish people, and then you've got the prophets, right? That's Mm -hmm. kind of how the Old Testament breaks down. Am I missing something there? I think that's...
1: No, I mean, pretty much. You know, the beginning, the history of the prophets and there, you also got, like, the wisdom books,
0: you know, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, stuff like that. So, yeah. Yep, you're right, though. And then moving into the New Testament, you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You've got the the letters from Paul, basically, and other mm-hmm. authors. But then yeah, you've got Acts and and tends to be more of a historical kind of mm-hmm. Luke. If I believe Luke is credited with that book. Yep. Um, so you've got – so how did we get to – I mean, obviously, this is not something that was written, sit down, and, and written out at one time. <laughs> I find it interesting that over years and centuries that this book was – that the Bible came to be with all these different writings, that it still managed to somehow maintain a plot. I think that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, um, that there's a beginning, a middle, and an, and an end when you put it in revelation. But how did we get to where what we have today?
1: Yeah, yeah. The fact that there's over like forty different authors it's, that span over fourteen hundred years. I had a guy once, you know, say to me, "All the Bible's just a, a man-made book," and uh, you know, and then there's conspiracy that the conspiracies that there was just kind of a, uh, you know, they, they, they conspired together to make this story to, you know, to fool people basically. And I'm like, that's not even possible. If this was, if the Bible was a conspiracy, th- it was an, they did a really good job because there were so many years in between when it was pinned and so many different people involved. And that's just the ones that we know. We don't know who finished the the, the Pentateuch, right? So Um, so yeah, there's, there's no possible way. I don't even, they couldn't have done that. Um, but when you get to the early church, you find that there is, so when John finishes the book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos, um, that's the last book of the scripture that we have. Um, and I want to say that was somewhere around, and I want to say somewhere around 90 AD. I might have to double-check that. But um, So, I mean, you're looking toward the end of the first century there when all the books have, have been completed, and um, now the church has to figure out which letters are appropriate to be used in the Scripture, which, which ones should be left out. And to be honest with you, I couldn't imagine that process. I'm sure it was very painstaking. Um, but they did. And for the first couple centuries, first three, four hundred years, uh, you have different synods, they call them, or councils, council meetings, where they would gather together and they would they would go through the scriptures. And there were four main criteria that they would use. Um, if a letter was penned by an apostle or a colleague of an apostle, um, that gave it some validity. So that was number one. Second, so what
0: constitutes an apostle?
1: Apostle... Is different from a disciple in that a, in a, a disciple is somebody that is a Christ follower. So today, even we would call ourselves, we're disciples of Jesus. Okay, he disciples. That's what Jesus said. He said, Go and make disciples. He didn't say go make apostles. Apostle is somebody that literally walked and talked with Jesus. That's how they were to deemed an apostle, which is interesting to me because you have people today in certain denominations and in certain, you know, school of of thought, uh, in Christianity, they call themselves the apostle. Oh, this apostle has come to this church to preach. And you see that more a lot in like the charismatic movements and, and, uh, you know from other countries you'll you'll hear that word a lot, especially like in African countries, that word apostle is used a lot and it's it's interesting because in my understanding of an apostle is you're not an apostle unless you actually walked and talked with Jesus. The reason Paul actually is called an apostle He's I was yeah I right saw there. that <laughs> look in your face. I said, oh, I better just go ahead and answer this one. He because um, he actually did see Jesus. Uh, he was alive during the time of Christ and then he actually on the road to Damascus had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. So he gets, he would also fall into, he even calls himself an apostle that was born out of due time. So he wasn't like, he wasn't like the other ones. He didn't get to hang out with Jesus in the beginning of his earthly ministry all the way through, you know? Okay. So, yeah. But anyway, so you have the, the, those are, those are the four criteria, the apostleship one. Secondly is orthodoxy. Like the teaching had to be something that would have come from an apostle or from Jesus himself. Uh, The third one, uh, the third criteria would be it had to be uh, relevant to the churches of that day. So it had to be a letter that actually addressed uh, things that they were going through. You know, there had to be some sort of relevance to uh, their situation. And then fourthly, it had to be widespread and longstanding. So it couldn't be some just obscure letter that somebody pulled out of a cabinet and said, here, this says it's from, Apostle John, so we got to accept it. You know, I mean it. It had to be widespread, used among a lot of the churches, um, and it had to have been around for a while. So that's that's kind of how they came to their conclusion. And some of them were debated. Some, I mean, Second Peter, Jude, Second and Third John. You mentioned I think Third John earlier. Second, Third John, Revelation, James. These are books that they considered not putting in the canon, but ultimately uh, they they after all these meetings and. Church historians came together, and they decided that this is, this is the best twenty-seven that we can get in the New Testament.
0: Well, and there's also a lot of books that were kept out, right? So you have the Gospel of Thomas. There's Gospel uh, of Mary. Gospel of Mary. You've got uh, a supposed this this. It's called the Q source Mm -hmm. that was, I guess, used. uh, People kind of assume that maybe Mark used that as a source for the Book of Mark and then what Matthew and Luke then used kind of Mark as their template for theirs. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Which is why we call those three the synoptic gospels.
0: Okay. And then you've got, um, of course, the Gnostic gospels, Mm -hmm. which were um, part of, I guess, a lot of this... There was a lot of translations that took place during this time too, right? So you have like... Yeah. So you have the... There's three original languages, I guess, in the Bible, right? Aramaic, Hebrew, Hebrew, and Greek, and Greek, mm-hmm. and then everything else has been basically translations moving forward. Mm-hmm. So the Septuagint, probably the most, was that the first translation? Was that
1: uh, the Septuagint? I believe is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, isn't it? I think so. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's really, really. Uh, Taking me back to my the days when I was in Bible college.
0: I, yeah, I am. So make sure you learn something. <laughs> um, so the so you've got all of these different um, outside sources. Let's say mm-hmm. um, they're not necessarily considered invalid. They just didn't meet the criteria of that council that was being debated at that mm-hmm. time. So, if we were to come across something today, if somebody were to unearth the Gospel of Jesus, mm-hmm. could it be put into the Bible, or is that that process final? We have what we have, and doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I don't. Th- yeah, I don't think it would. I, I don't
1: think that it would get put in. Um, that's just my opinion. I don't. I don't. I think with what we have now. And especially with, and this isn't even really the main issue. I would probably, but even with just with the dogma that we have, over the versions that we have, just the versions that we have, um, you know, of the different translations, uh, there, there's no way that I don't. They would let any kind of additional scripture be put in from where we're at today. I just I can't even see that being feasible now. I mean, we're so locked in on what we have, and I don't think that it should. Probably, to be honest with you, um, I think at this point, if we were to unearth something, it would have to go through a process of dating, and then it would have to be scrutinized as far as you know where was it found, when when is when was did they think it was put there, you know who really wrote it. Just because it says it's the Gospel of Jesus uh, wouldn't mean anything, you know what I mean? So, I, I don't think. That would even be possible. I don't know. What do you think?
0: Uh, I'm sure that there would be some type of probably,
1: probably what would happen is a new formed or something. Uh, council. Yeah. Well, now probably what would happen is probably a new religion or a new denomination might spring from something like that, possibly.
0: But Maybe. I mean, they would have to have a committee to form a committee to talk about a committee. Committee. Yeah. Exactly. We'd have a potluck while we're in the process, but.
1: <laughs> Hey, they say Baptists do that, but let me tell you, us Nazarenes do it too.
0: <laughs> well, so that leads to kind of the interesting question for today, right? So this um, one of those questions that that I think people want, like to to know. Like, so there's Protestants and there's Catholics, yeah, and they have similar Bibles, but they're a little bit different. So the Catholic Church has in their Bible additional books that the Protestants do not have. The Apocrypha, yes. I mean, why? We talk about all that. They went through all this process to define what was and what was not authoritative and scripture and all that. Why do we have this difference in?
1: Yeah, it's funny you asked that. Earlier you said I, I read your mind. Well, this time you read my mind. I was going to ask you that same question. Why? That that is a good question, and I can't. Uh, you know, I don't know that I can even speak to that because the process that the Catholic Church went through through the Apocrypha. Now, I do know that there are people in you know the, even the Protestant movement that uses. I had a guy that used to go to a church that I pastored. He was he was real big, and he would be he would be standing up saying something to the church. You know, not really preaching, but he would he would be giving a word or something. Uh, and he would mention them and I just sit there like oh just don't just don't bring those up because there's too many questions surrounding them you know at least in the Protestant faith so but but so he leaned really heavily upon them and I think even historians do as well uh, but the reason they didn't actually make it into uh, the can the Canon I'm not hundred percent sure on that do you, do you, can you speak to
0: that yep I can actually I did a little bit of research on this and it's kind of interesting because it is in its most simplest form um. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament, first written in the Hebrew um, and Aramaic and then translated into Greek. As it happened, some more late Jewish books were written not in Hebrew but in Greek because by then it was the common language of the Eastern Roman Empire. Naturally enough, these late books written in Greek were included not in the original Hebrew Old Testament but only in the Greek translation of it called the Septuagint. Later on, when St. Jerome translated the whole Bible into Latin, uh, he translated the Greek New Testament and the original Hebrew Old Testament into Latin and then also translated the Greek Apocrypha into Latin with preferences with prefaces indicating that there were no not part of the original Hebrew Old Testament so essentially I think they they consider those books not part of the or they they're not part of the old original Hebrew but yet they added them in because they were written in Greek um and then the Protestant Reformation came along. The Protestant scholars were also rediscovering the importance of the original Hebrew Old Testament and of the Hebrew language in which it was written. So essentially, the Catholics insert them in, uh, but the Protestants did not because they were not part of the original Hebrew. Mm. That's at its basic form. However, uh, there's a lot of controversy, rumors over some of the what's in those books, um, I, I can't cite it directly, but I know one of the one of the kind of controversies from Martin Luther during the, the Reformation was revolved around that some of these books speak to um, salvation by works, mm-hmm. not just by faith. Um, and for that the, the Protestants or Martin Luther didn't hold that as being scripture mm-hmm. uh, So I think that's one of the big, that's one of the big separators between the two.
1: Yeah. And actually, the book of James, Martin Luther, my understanding is he didn't think that the book of James should be included in the scriptures either. Because James says, you know, faith without works is dead. And when you read James, he's all about, you know, you can have faith. You say that you have faith, but I'll show you that I have faith by the works that I do. And Martin Luther interpreted that as being uh, salvation by works. Versus what Paul said in Ephesians, for by grace you're saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, uh, Martin Luther had a big problem with the Book of James, also. Who, interestingly enough, James was the half brother of Jesus. So, uh, and James is like the 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 Proverbs of the New Testament, and I mean it's got a lot of good stuff in there. And but I I hate to say this, and I hope that I don't get in trouble for saying this, but with with some of the people at my church, but the truth is. I can understand. I don't agree with Martin Luther's, you know, final determination that it shouldn't be in, uh, in the scriptures. But there are verses that you read that Paul wrote, and then you read what James wrote, and it's like I do sometimes have a hard time reconciling those. So I can understand his concern, at the least. I can understand uh, where he was coming from. I think on that, you know. So,
0: so. Uh... So what is the what was the well, I'm not super familiar with the reformation so but that's kind of when this catholic protestant split took place right so what what prompted that like what was that all about
1: well you know i mean martin luther had a big problem with the way that, he didn't want to actually split from the catholic church and i think sometimes that's what we we lose in the story is that he didn't want to split he wanted to reform it he wanted some changes to be made. He felt that they had gotten away from scripture. That's why he nailed the thesis on the door. And he was like, these are some changes that need to take place within the Catholic church to make it more true to the scripture. And of course that was not received well at all. So there ended up being a break. That's why the Protestant church, that's why it's called Protestant. The root word there is protest. It was a protest protest to how the Catholic Church was doing some things and quite a bit of things, actually. And um, so that's that's where the split take place. But the original intention was not to have Catholicism and Protestantism. That wasn't Martin Luther's intention. That was just the end result.
0: So do you see that today? I mean, that's kind of a... You know, people that see something like that. So people who are looking for, like, I don't know if I want to be involved in the church. I don't know if I believe the Bible. I don't know... (laughs) Um, you know i mean look they can't even agree on anything you know
1: and then we can't even agree on the color of carpet i mean we churches are say, split over that you see it today
0: stuff. you see it today i mean what is that just human nature
1: it is it is and and that's the thing with christianity is that christ calls us <clears throat> to live to live better to live you know to to die to self there comes a point where you know the spirit we can't do it on our own strength but the spirit enables us to live in a, under a different way of thinking, you know, and it's, it's driven by love and love for each other and, and deference, putting other people before yourself. It, you just, and a lot of, a lot of times you don't see that in Christianity. And that's how Jesus said that people are going to know you're my disciples. If you have love one to another. And I, you know, I was reading that one time clay and it hit me not only love for people that don't know the Lord, but Jesus was telling his disciples people will know that you follow me if you have love one to another, if you as the disciples can get along, right? And so when people look inside our churches, they see they see all kinds of different doctrines and, and teachings from the scripture. When one will say that this other church is teaching it wrong, and they're saying, well, they're teaching it wrong. And then with inside churches, they're arguing about silly stuff. Like I said, I've heard of churches that have split over the color of the carpet or because they didn't like the decorations in the church. I mean, just the whole the whole point of Christianity is that we are a body, and if you read in the book of Acts, there has to be unity. The Holy Spirit can move in a body of believers at best when they come together in one accord. That's where we get that s- stupid joke. There was Hondas in the Bible because they were all gathered in one <laughs> accord. So you can use that sometime. You're welcome for that. Hey, I,
0: your so. dad one time said that there was baseball in the in the uh, Bible because in the very first... Chapter 1, verse 1 of Genesis says, In the beginning, (laughs) God created the heaven and the earth. (laughs) I wish we could get some big innings in Cincinnati and win some games. But,
1: you know, so, yeah. So there needs to be unity. There's not. And so when people look at the church, I get it, man. I get it. So you've got... And I mean the church as a whole. And this isn't bashing on Christians, because I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. But I think we as believers can do a better job of working together,
0: you know, well, I mean, and I can, can, I guess you can see where people would be skeptical, right? You've got this this book, the Bible, that is a bunch of different books put together. We're not sure who said what was going to be what, what politics were behind it. Um, you know, you've got the Catholics that add these. You've got different denominations that have different uh, things. So, I mean, at this point, like, I don't even know if I want to read the book. You know, you've got people thinking that, let alone go to church. So. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to get into the whole, um, and I think what we'll do is is save this question for um, the next episode, and we'll kind of wind this one down. But I think the next episode, let's touch on this. Okay, so now we have the Bible. We need to read it. Um, I mean, is it literal? Is it figurative? Do we read it as both? And I think we'll kind of touch on that next episode, but um, now this has been an interesting topic, and... um, I'm excited to see where the conversation goes from here in the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. And um,
1: and l- I do want to say this before we before we get out of here. Oh no, I, no, this would be nice. This isn't directed toward you. <laughs> um, but the truth is, there are a lot of questions, probably that that you know that I as a pastor have that that we have as doing this podcast that that are going to come up. Um, because and, and there's a lot of questions we don't have answers for. Right? Some of the best scholars in the world are researching this stuff. That's what they do. That's their career, and yet they can't come necessarily to to all the conclusions. So not having answers doesn't mean that, A, that someday there won't be answers available. Maybe there's some things that we just haven't come across yet, number one. And number two, not having answers. Even if we never have the answers to some of these questions on this side of eternity, Um it doesn't mean that the bible isn't trustworthy okay because that and that's what we need to understand having questions doesn't negate faith as a matter of fact if anything i, I and you might agree with this i think it can help strengthen our faith you know so it's not wrong to ask the questions um, but if you use those questions, oh, well, I have a question about this, I don't understand this topic, therefore it's, it's off limits or it's, it's no good or I can't believe it because my questions are unanswered, that's just an excuse. At the end of the day, Christianity is still, and belief in God is still, and you don't have to have the Bible to believe in God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this right now. Paul said in Romans 1 that God has revealed himself through nature. Now, you know, the person of Jesus Christ and the, and the death, burial, and resurrection, we know that through the scriptures, but just believe that there is a higher power and to start from that point, you don't even have to have the Bible for that, okay? The Bible just begins to fill in all the extra stuff that, that we, we do need, but uh, so not having the answers doesn't mean that God doesn't exist, that the Bible's not trustworthy. It just means that uh, maybe we've just got some more digging to do.
0: Well, and that's what we will do. We will continue to dig. Yeah. All right. Good deal. All right.